church gives us three very challenging passages today to consider. The first is from Amos, and I'm sure you all remember that Amos is the first of the prophets to get his own book in the Bible. The oldest of the prophets that has his very own book. And in this passage, like much of the book of Amos, Amos rails against the wealthy Israelite aristocrats who take advantage of the poor, cheating them out of what they should get. And Amos vows that the Lord will not forget this injustice. The second reading is from Timothy, and it takes the opposite tack. It proposes that we should pray for our political leaders, and that we should lead a quiet and tranquil life. Christianity often calls for us to work from within the political system. We can influence society by maintaining dialogue with people who hold views opposed to our own. And then we have this doozy of a gospel passage. St. Augustine said, I cannot believe that this story came from the lips of our Lord. So let's explain the story now. We'll proclaim it, and then we'll explain it again afterwards. A steward is about to lose his job, so he changes the terms of his master's contracts so that all the debtors will get a better deal and help the steward after he loses his job. Instead of being enraged, the master praises the steward for his prudence. The key to interpreting this parable may come from the parable that directly precedes it. We usually call that story the prodigal son even though it's really about the loving father. Likewise, today's story could be called the merciful master instead of the dishonest steward. So yes, friends, today we focus, as we did last week, on God's mercy, a mercy which we do not deserve. This is one of those gospel passages that no matter how many times I read it, I keep thinking, I must have read it wrong. Even after hearing a fantastic sermon on this passage six years ago by Paul's father, Ronald Robertson, I still felt inadequately prepared to preach on this passage. The good news is, on Monday morning, I emailed Father Ron to give me a copy, and he did. (laughs) I'm going to refer to that quite heavily today. But to begin, let's summarize the passage one more time. A steward has been given control of his master's estate squanders his master's resources, and then finds himself about to lose his job. The steward, knowing that he'll need to rely on his neighbors after he's fired, cuts deals with everyone in the neighborhood who owes his master a debt. The master, instead of being angry, praises the steward for his shrewdness. The sayings that follow don't seem to be very closely related to the parable. For example, Jesus tells people not to serve two masters, But that's pretty much what the steward does. Now, let's think back to the parable of the prodigal son. The son asks his father for his inheritance, squanders it on all kinds of sinful stuff, and then finds himself in the middle of a famine with no resources. The son, realizing that he needs to find someone to help him, decides to go back to his father's house and offer to work as a hired hand. The father, instead of being angry, rejoices that his son has returned. In general, a parable is a story with an unexpected twist. The twist in both of these parables is the same. The father and the master respond to egregious sins with mercy. The message is clear. God's ways are not our ways. 
There is absolutely nothing we can do to merit God's love. But God loves us anyway. Over the centuries, we Christians have argued about faith versus works. Do we earn our way to heaven because of what we do, or do we get to heaven because of God's mercy? It's an argument that really heated up in the 16th century during the Reformation. The problem is complicated by the fact that for roughly 400 years after that, Catholics and Protestants developed their own separate theological terminologies. For example, the word faith itself means something very different today to a Lutheran than it does to a Catholic. Even when we really try to listen to each other, we often don't comprehend what the other person is saying. In the 50 years since Vatican II, the Church has encouraged all Christians to engage in dialogues with each other and with people of other faiths. Each of us should be engaging in ecumenical and interreligious dialogue with our neighbors on a regular basis. This is not a job that's supposed to be left only to the theologians. Nevertheless, the dialogues of theologians at the national and international levels have led to some substantial accomplishments. Perhaps most notably, the Joint Declaration on the Doctrine of Justification, written jointly by the Catholic Church and the Lutheran World Federation in 1999. The World Methodist Council signed on to the JDDJ in 2006. In this document, Lutherans, Catholics, and Methodists agree, and I quote, Christians cannot rely on their own good works or boast of their own merits as though they were not still in need of mercy. Or as my buddy Ron, one of the most prominent ecumenists in the country, expresses it, God doesn't love you because you are good. You are good because God loves you. Despite this overwhelming agreement among Christian theologians, the majority of ordinary Catholics just don't believe it. About 15 years ago, a survey of Catholics in the United States showed that 61% of catechists, 73% of parishioners, and 84% of teenagers believe that it is by their own efforts that people earn their place in heaven. Unfortunately, this data jives with my own experience as a priest. I talk with a remarkable number of people who think that God doesn't love them because they think that they are not good enough to deserve God's love. So what can we do, each of us, to grow in the belief that God loves us as much as Jesus says that God loves each of us? Well, to start, we can pray this prayer every day. Heavenly Father, Jesus says that you love me unconditionally, just as I am but I'm not sure if I believe it. Help me to believe it. I'm glad you like that. I wrote that prayer myself. <laughs> what else can we do to really believe that God loves us unconditionally? We can look to Pope Francis. In case you've been living under a rock for the past few days and haven't heard, the Pope gave a wonderful, long interview to a combination of Catholic publications. It was the lead story in many parts of the world on Thursday. The interview covered a lot of things, but at its heart, it explicitly revealed what Francis has consistently preached in his words and actions ever since becoming Pope. God's mercy trumps everything else. The doctrine and the teachings of the church are extremely important, 
But we as a church must first reveal God's love to a world that sorely hungers for it. And what else can we do to more fully believe in God's unconditional love for each of us? We can each return to the regular celebration of the sacrament of penance. Hey, I must really believe in this. I'm still encouraging you to do this even after last weekend's homily, which led to longer lines outside the confessional in the chapel, and more requests to Father Charlie and me from you for individual appointments. So even though it makes more work, I still beg you. Confession is a fantastically graced opportunity to recognize that God is wildly, wildly in love with each of us as individuals. No, I'm not talking to the person sitting next to you. I'm talking to you. Hey, don't bow your head and try to avoid my gaze, Dan. God loves you, no matter how unworthy you think that you are. Pope Francis, the man who wishes that the word mercy could be used as a verb to describe what God does, consistently preaches in his words and his actions about God's mercy. But when asked by Antonio Spadaro in the interview to describe who he is, he paused and said, I am a sinner. This is the most accurate definition. Pope Francis then reflected in silence again, explained a little bit more about what he meant, and then he said, the best summary is this. I am a sinner whom the Lord has looked upon. I'm glad you liked the prayer that I wrote, because I printed out copies for everybody. They didn't laugh last night. But anyway, so, and usually 5.30 Saturday are the big laughers, so I'll have to let them know. Um, I'd like you to repeat this after me, and then I will place these on uh, the holy water font if you'd like a copy for yourself. So, please repeat after me, and with, like you mean it. Heavenly Father, Jesus says that you love me unconditionally, just as I am, but I'm not sure if I believe it. Help me to believe it. Amen.